You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Jesus, we are grateful for this time, grateful for uh, your scriptures and how they speak to us, but also how they are all tied together. And Lord, there is a common thread that runs throughout from the Old to the New Testament that I think you certainly want us to be aware of. And so, God, would you reveal that to us today? Show us through your covenants and through your words what that looks like and how we are to carry it out in our own lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so, again, real quick, I'll kind of sum it up. The Old Testament, we looked at the covenants of the Old Testament, which, uh, you know, we start with Adam and Eve when they're in the garden. They sin. God makes a covenant with them. That's often called the covenant of grace. Uh, in Scripture, the covenant of grace is something that uh, you've fallen, you've, you've sinned against me. However, I'm going to still love you, uh, but there are consequences to breaking my covenant and, and disobeying the things that I've told you to do. And then you get into, and, and in the midst of that covenant, we find what is often called the kingdom mandate. And it happens throughout all the covenants of Scripture, but the kingdom mandate is to be fruitful and to multiply and to subdue the earth and rule over it or reign over it. And so you find this kingdom mandate of, uh, I want you to multiply, so I want you to have, have children, uh, and I want you to reign and rule over the earth. And so uh, subdue it, take care of it, uh, fill it. And so this was God's command to Adam and Eve was to, uh, and as they were doing that, that was, an, they were image bearers as they had children. They were image bearers of God because we know Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. And so every child that was made is an image bearer of God. I think I made the comment last week that if you were to take all, I think there's 7.2 billion people in the world, uh, you take all 7.2 billion people and you jam them all together and you, and you mold it all up like Play-Doh and out comes what I believe God would look like. Now, obviously, we can't do that uh, because we're all, we all have the image of God, even though we all look different. And so if you, you push us all together, we'll begin to see what the image of God actually looks like. In the meantime, we're spread out into 7.2 billion people. And so uh, we all have a, the image of God inside of us. And so as Adam and Eve were called to procreate, it was to reproduce the image of God. And ultimately, the plan was to take over the entire earth. It wasn't just to be in the Garden of Eden. Uh, that was the starting point. And so what we see is when they sin and when the nation of Israel sins, when the people of God sin over and over, there always seems to be this return back to an Edom, if you will. And we don't know from history if it's exactly where Edom was, but we do know there are promised lands that are throughout Old Testament Scripture. Um, Moses, take the people to the, to the promised land. Could the promised land be where the Garden of Eden was? Probably somewhere close. Uh, we get Abraham, go to the land I'm going to show you. You get, um, you, you then get, uh, I'm kind of bouncing around here, but then you got, you got Joseph and, and e Egypt and the land that he would have and all these things where God just continues to kind of renew a covenant with his people as his people would sin, he would renew. And so you see that all throughout Old Testament. We kind of dove into all those things a couple weeks ago. We ended with the Davidic covenant, which is the King David. King David's covenant happened with God about 400 years after the time of Moses and Joshua. Uh, so we've got some time that has elapsed there. David comes on the scene. He is uh, the king. And uh, what the nation of Israel is looking for in a king, and this is very important as we get to the New Testament, is that they are looking for someone to rule and to reign. And so they have been uh, thought that at the fall... 
that a king, and you've got that whole battle in the Old Testament of give us a king, well, God's your king, well, I want an earthly king. And then they're in their mind going, hey, the king should be somebody who's going to rule and reign and we are going to dominate the earth. And so that whole subdue it thing was if we have a great enough army and a great enough force, we will ultimately conquer the entire earth and God's reign will be all over the earth. And so in, in David's coming, they are looking, and I, and I have to think that the people of Israel and the nations, uh, God's people are looking, every king they have, they're going, is this the one? Is this the Messiah? Because that's what they're looking for, right? We know that the Messiah is coming. Is this the Messiah? And so David comes on the scene. He's this ruddy youngest of all of 12 brothers. Uh, and yet he is pretty dominating when it comes to battle. He wins battles. Certainly the Lord is on his side. God makes a covenant with David. David makes a covenant with God. But ultimately we see David falls as all the kings do. Even though David would be considered a man after God's own heart, he is not without sin. We got the whole Bathsheba thing happening. That kind of spoiled it for David. Uh, you got murder that's in the midst of that. And so then David is realized as well, he's not the Messiah. And so then you get to Samuel, and Samuel uh, inherits the kingdom. And now we get uh, some more, the other Old Testament things that kind of happen after Samuel or in the process of Samuel's reign and, and later on are going to be. Uh, the prophets show up. And the prophets begin to speak to the nation of Israel and to God's people that there is a Messiah coming to repent, to, to, to know the Lord, to return back to the covenantal language, this kingdom mandate that we uh, see all throughout Old Testament Scripture. And so these, these prophets over and over are in Jeremiah, for instance, Jeremiah 29. Because they continued in their sin, God gives a covenantal punishment. They broke covenant and they're required to stay in exile for 70 days. And so they broke God's covenant and Jeremiah is calling them back to the Lord over and over. And then there's this 70-year exile where, they, I mean, it's, it's you know, bad things are happening in exile. We're, uh, we're, we've been in captivity. The people of God are in captivity. People are being killed. There are brutal stories of what happens when the nation of Israel is in captivity. And, uh, and then if you go to Daniel, you see where this 70 years now gets prolonged because they begin to sin even more and they don't repent of their sin in the midst of their, in their suffering. And so we've got a thousand years between David and Jesus, approximately. And so kind of like in our day where we're 2,000 years after Jesus and we're anticipating the coming of Christ, and I said it in my sermon in the refectory if you were in there, we keep waiting and going, when is Jesus coming back? And to us, it seems like forever. Why didn't he do it last week or last year or 10 years ago? What's he waiting on? But to Jesus, it, as we know, Scripture tells us it's like a day and a thousand years is like a day and, and vice versa. And so we've got this thousand years that has happened between David and Jesus. And in the midst of that, we've got the, the kingdoms are divided. You've got Jeremiah saying, hey, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You're going to go into exile. Then you've got Daniel 9 where exile doesn't seem to do anything. They continue to sin. And so Jesus, or so God actually extends the exile period for the nation of Israel from 70 years. He says 7 times 70. And so we can see in history that somewhere around the 490 years of the 1,000 years between David and Jesus, the nation of Israel is in exile and just sin over and over and over again. 
and they've gone the wrong direction and they're they're not seeking the Lord. They're not doing and all these prophets are telling them to come back to Jesus, come back to or come back to God, come back to the Lord. And so we get over 500 years of waiting since Jeremiah had told them to repent and to come back and they never do. And that brings us to the New Testament. How about that for a fast forward, right? We just uh, did the whole thing there in 10 minutes. Yes. Now, reading I've done since the Bible was written over like 1,500 years by mm-hmm. 40 odd authors, and you were saying from David to Jesus was. was About 1,000 years. years. Mm-hmm. Does that mean the New Testament was something like 500 years worth of time writing? Or? So the New Testament hasn't occurred yet in, in that 1,000 year gap between David and Jesus. So we, we know that the New Testament begins, the breaking of the New Testament begins when Jesus comes on the scene. Uh, and so in that thousand years is where you've got the prophets, both the minor and the major prophets, the writings in of the Old Testament. Old Testament you have, and it's minor and major primarily because of how much they wrote. Yeah, that's really the way they kind of divide it. Uh, they don't, the minor ones don't typically last as long as the majors, uh, you know, they, their lifespans or their, their prophetic so ministry. Yeah. You, you really, I mean, like, a clear contrast would be like Isaiah. He's a major prophet. There's 63, 60, no, 68 chapters, I think. Don't quote me on that. Something like that in Isaiah. There's a bunch of them. Uh, and, and then you get like Hezekiah. He's got like six verses or six chapters, you know. Uh, again, don't quote me on that. But there, there's two different. So you got the, you got the majors and the minors and the influence, I think, of the majors and the minors as well is a, is a piece of that. So major prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, um, uh, and those are the two big ones that you think about. Uh, and then you got a lot of minors. And so all the prophets are doing is pointing to what is to come and calling for repentance. So they're pointing to Jesus. They're pointing to the Messiah that is to come. And they're calling the nation to come back, to repent, to, to, to be redeemed. Uh, one of my favorites is uh, Hosea. And the prophet Hosea, a very short minor prophet, but really a great beautiful picture of redemption. Uh, and the people. When um, I read 40 authors, I have trouble. I mean, I mean, I know you're not going to name 40 authors, but the Bible seems to be a lot more than that. Yeah. Uh, well, you got to take into account that Paul wrote over half of the New Testament. So even though there's a lot of books in the New Testament, Paul wrote a lot of them. A lot of them were the pastoral epistles, and um, and then of course you got Romans and. And a couple of those in there as well. You got John wrote multiple books. Um, you got Luke wrote multiple books. Uh, yeah, so Luke and Acts. You got John and, and Revelation. So you've got crossover there. You got Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the of the Bible, the Pentateuch. So he takes up five alone. And so while there are 66 books in the Bible, uh, many of them wrote more than one uh, portion of the scriptures. So that's where you get your 40-some-odd authors in, in Scripture. Um, so there's our, our fast-forward. we got our prophets. Uh, and you got So again, we've got a timeline of here somewhere in the neighborhood of 490, 500 years of being in uh, captivity, being uh, outside the will of the Lord. This is the nation of Israel being called to repent. And then we get Mark chapter 1. 
where Jesus breaks on the scene and the first recorded words of Jesus in the book of Mark, which I think are fascinating when you think about the thread that runs through Scripture, is that all these prophets and all these kings and all this time of the covenants of God have been repent, come back, be restored, repent and believe, um, you know, be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, all this kind of kingdom language. That's what we would call that is kingdom language. You get Mark chapter 1, verse 15. You got Jesus coming on the scene and he says these words for the first time. And it's really cool if you have a red letter Bible because you don't have any red anywhere around it other than this verse. And it says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's Jesus' words. First words out of his mouth. Now, you don't think he knew all the Old Testament things going on? He, he knows. He's been there from the beginning. And he's been, he's been speaking through these prophets to repent, believe in the gospel. And now he's standing in their presence in the nation of Israel who is far from God. And we see that in the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the various religious folks. And Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. The time is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Not the kingdom of God's near. The kingdom of God is at hand. Right here I am. I'm bringing it with me. I am the king you've been waiting for. Yes, sir. That's, is that right after his baptism mm-hmm. or before yep. he yep. fast? Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, and in Mark's, in Mark's book, no. Uh, Mark, Mark doesn't kind of give that same. Uh, if, you go to, if you go to Mark, you find um, you don't get the... You don't get the genealogies you get in Matthew. Um, he, John baptizes Jesus. There's a very short, you get the short version of the temptation. So yes, it all is there. And then you get Jesus' ministry begins. So the literally all the things that are unfolded in some of the other Gospels in the first 14 uh, verses of Mark, you get them all jammed in there. So baptism... John's baptizing, Jesus baptizes, or John baptizes Jesus, the temptation of Jesus, a very short little section, and then you got the time is fulfilled. So he speaks after the temptation. Here we go. I'm here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, it's almost like this rallying cry of, all right, let's go. It's time. Game on. Um, and uh, so it's through the coming of Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, that now the kingdom of God is being fulfilled. And so if you're a, if you're a New Testament um, first century Israelite, you're going, we've been waiting for a Messiah for a thousand plus years since David, some two, almost 2,000 years since, since Adam and Eve, Moses, if you're a literalist here at least, we'll go with that for a minute. Um, somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,000 years, you've been waiting for a Messiah to come that all these other kings couldn't fulfill. And now you've got Jesus who steps on the scene and says, here I am. The Messiah, the king you've been waiting for, I'm standing right in front of you. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so the language would have been very familiar to them to go, oh, hey, this is the king. And we know from Scripture, if you've read the New Testament, you know it takes them a little bit, right? They're, they're not fully on board with this. They're hearing Jesus going, wait a minute, he doesn't look like a king. He was not born in a, he was not born in a castle. He's not kingly in any way. He was not uh, favorable to look at, as Isaiah says. He doesn't have any... Uh, any stature about him that you would look at him and go, ooh, that's the king. 
but the words that come out of Jesus' mouth. And then the ministry that would take place as Jesus would fulfill His very own words. The kingdom of God is near. And so He would go, of course, after the baptism is when He says this. The covenant that, if we're talking covenants, Jesus is now reestablishing the covenant of God with His people. And so in the covenant, we've got what's called the new covenant. It's the, the new command that Jesus is giving them. This new, con- new covenant comes through baptism. It's a sign for you and your family. We read that in Scripture. Uh, and, and the reason we baptize babies you know, is, is because it's covenantal. And we're like Old Testament characters, and we can break that covenant. But Jesus is saying, here it is. And so he institutes the covenant. He, he kind of solidifies the covenant through the breaking of the bread uh, at the Passover. And then, of course, what is the, uh, the literal nail in the coffin is the cross that solidifies the covenant between me, my, my kingdom and my people. And that is, you're going to have to follow after me. And so how do we know that Jesus is speaking the same language as the Old Testament? Well, throughout the New Testament, he starts using these phrases all the time. He uses, the kingdom of God is like. You've read the New Testament, right? You've read the, the Gospels. He starts to say things like, the kingdom of God is like. One of my favorites. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. So this one is... Is, is absolutely mind-blowing to, to Israelites of the day who are going, we're expecting a Messiah King. We're expecting you. When do the swords come out? When do, when do we start fighting? When do we start, when do we start assembling the, battle, the army for the battle? And Jesus says, hold on a minute. We try, you've expected that. i got a different plan for the kingdom. And here's what it's going to look like in the inauguration of the kingdom. And so the now and the not yet, which is, I think, the title that I gave this section, the now and the not yet is what Jesus begins to proclaim to the people through his uh, parables. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts small and it grows large. It becomes one of the largest things. And so the kingdom mentality at this point, again, ruler, king, dominion, mustard seed, small. Mustard tree, one of the largest. So a different kingdom, but still one that would take over the world just not through a physical battle. Not through assembling an army. Not through dominion, but through spiritual warfare. Through heavenly reign. And so he's turning the very idea of kingdom-mindedness upside down and saying, you've thought about it the wrong way. My hope and my purpose in kingdom is that we would see spiritual battles being won. And now he does reassure them, and we see it at the end of the New Testament, that all the things they believed about a king is going to come true. So we got revelation. There is the finality of swords coming, blazing fire, horses and chariots coming on a cloud. Here we come. The battle is over. But Jesus says here in the New Testament where he inaugurates the kingdom um, and, and, and he's playing on the words of the Old Testament. My kingdom is a spiritual kingdom first. <clears throat> And so the spiritual battle is not the swords. It's not the chariots of fire. It's the going out and doing the calling of making disciples and bringing forth the kingdom. He says it through the foolish virgins, uh, the parable of the foolish virgins. Wait on his return. Don't lose heart. Maintain alertness. Stay kingdom minded. Don't let your wicks burn out. Be ready. Don't let God's love 
cause us to be lazy or lack focus for the kingdom purpose. Then he goes on prodigal son, the lost son, you know, where the prodigal son runs away. And the king or the, the father is a representative of, of God, the father. And yet this prodigal son runs away and starts squandering. And I think one of the lessons we can learn, which is a, a bunch of them, Michael and some guys and I just had a Bible study on this this week at Brother Brian, uh, which was some great insight. But one of the things that we learn from that is that oftentimes we are the younger brother where we run off and we lose sight of the very thing that the Father has in store for us. And then sometimes we're like the older brother who we just keep doing it and yet we get mad when other people repent and and come join us. So we can find ourselves in that story. The covenant is now being extended outside of Israel. That's the other thing Jesus came to do as He began to proclaim the the parables of kingdom. All they thought was, we're the nation of Israel. We are God's people and so all these Gentiles, they're not included. They're, and, and in their minds, it would be they're like dogs. They're, they're garbage. They're, they're just you know useless people hanging around impeding with us folks who are of the Lord. And, God, and Jesus comes and says, oh no, that's not the way this kingdom works. The kingdom now includes all people who would come to me. All who would come, the younger brother, the older brother, all who would repent and believe. It wasn't just for the nation of Israel. There would be this grafting in now of the new te- of, of the Gentiles. And praise God for that because I look around here and I'm pretty sure none of us were Israelites. We're all Gentiles. And so praise God that he accepted and that he included and grafted in the, the Gentiles. And then he goes on to teach his disciples this kingdom mentality as well so that they would get it. And they still, you know, these poor disciples, and I have to think, I, I can't say too much about them because I think if I was one of them, I'd probably be the same way. I'd probably be going, yeah, but, but that's all we've learned. You know, you're where, and I think Peter represents that well, is when the sword's coming out, man, like he's ready to cut off the guy's ear right before the cross. You know, and he does. And Jesus is saying, it's still not time for that. It's not the way the kingdom's going to grow. And so when they ask him to teach us how to pray, what does Jesus pray? He says, we call on the name of the Lord, who is our covenant partner, and we ask that his kingdom would come to earth as it is in heaven. And so more kingdom, so the thread, the DNA that's running through all of Scripture is the kingdom of God. Because The kingdom is over and over and over. And even when Jesus says, even when I leave and you pray this prayer, it is that my kingdom would come to earth as it is in heaven. Um, So there's there's where the renewal of the covenant. Now, a little bit more on the side of what it looks like to kind of this this now and the not yet. So what does that mean for us now? Well, the now is the call of the kingdom and the, and the retraining even of our own mind or the rewiring of our own mind is that the kingdom of God is such that all are included who would come to him and that it's a spiritual battle that the kingdom would be growing uh, on this earth in the same way that it is in heaven. And so Jesus' calling of us is, I want earth to actually look like heaven as much as it can which is fascinating to me because then you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And what do you see? Subdue the earth and rule over it. 
You've got a connection between Jesus' words in his prayer of the kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. And then you literally got in the, in the Garden of Eden, heaven come to earth. And so he start what he started here, he's now saying, we got to get back to there. Does that make sense? That we're, we're longing for Eden. We're longing for heaven to be connected back here. And so what do we do with the earthliness that we live in now? This foreignness, this foreign land that we're part of. It is literally a, an understanding that as we pray, God, what would it look like for your kingdom to begin to rule and reign over all the earth in the same way that Adam and Eve were called to do that? Now, is it through battles and swords yet? No. That's the thing he kept having to fight for the disciples, saying it's not that you're going to rule and reign in the sense of we're just going to take everybody out that doesn't believe in us. And there are some religions that would believe that. We've got some that would say if you don't believe, if you're not with me, you're, de- you're, you're dead to us. And they, and they will do that. But that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is such that we would say um, we want to rule and reign spiritually in this earth. So what would it look like for the the presence of the Lord and the kingdom mentality to begin to rule and reign so that all might believe and all might follow after and be on the same page when it comes to kingdom growth. And that's where the inauguration of the kingdom took place in the age of the church with Jesus as the prophet, the priest, and the king. He inaugurated this idea of the kingdom of God is like. And then when he left... The inauguration, he cut the kingdom free of its geopolitical moorings of the Old Testament and opened it up to all nations. So we've got what Jesus started and he said it's going to be for everybody and then we fall now under what is called the continuation time. So he inaugurated. I'm bringing the kingdom. The kingdom of God is here. It's not near, it's here. And so in the process, as Jesus leaves, what is his call to us? To go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them everything I've commanded you to do. And so, as he inaugurates, here's the continuation. The people of God, who have all been grafted in as followers of Jesus, would now say, we continue to proclaim Jesus Christ as prophet, priest, and king. The prophet, he teaches us through the faithful preaching of the word. We see that in 2 Peter. The priest, he intercedes on our behalf before the throne of grace. And then the king, he leads us into the spiritual battles uh, against the evil one, protecting and providing for our needs. And so in the continuation time, we are called, as I just said in my sermon in the refectory, we are called to a battle. That is the continuation of the kingdom. And there we find where the already and the not yet exist. We're living in the blessings of the age to come. What do I mean by that? Well, we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit in his leaving and said, you'll have a helper that's going to be with you. That is a blessing from the the already. That's the blessing from the Trinity. That's the blessing from what will be and will always be in the end. The Holy Spirit guiding us. We have inward renewal that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, this already not yet 
is that Jesus already knows what the expansion of the church is going to look like in the end. And yet we're still called here to play a part. So there's an already that's taken place. We're already glorified. We're already sanctified in heaven in the day to come. But here, the not yet is we're in the process of those things. And so when Jesus unleashed the kingdom in his uh, in his leaving and his being ascended up to, to heaven, he said, you go and do. One of the most fascinating passages of Scripture to me is when Jesus looks at the disciples and said, you're going to do even more than you've seen me do. And I just go, oh, I, can't even, I, don't even, I can't even fathom that. Like he did miraculous things. But then you read the book of Acts and you see what happened. Jesus brought, we don't really know how many were following him around. We know we got the 12 dedicated or 11 dedicated disciples. Um, and then we've got some other growth that happens. But then you get to Acts and the Holy Spirit comes and that helper is going to allow them to do things greater than he. And in the first day, what they've got 3,000 added to their number. And then a few days later, they've got 5,000 added to their number. And so you're starting to see where we are literally doing things that Jesus didn't see happen on earth while he was here. He was cultivating those things. He was preparing us for those things. But then when he... Uh, when he left us the Holy Spirit, it allowed us and empowered us to do the very things that we couldn't yet see, or the disciples, I should say, couldn't yet see that they were going to do. And so the kingdom has not reached its fullness yet, which puts us in the place of the already and the not yet. We're in the continuation time even now. But there will be a place of consummation that comes. The consummation of the kingdom will come. The the The... The followers of Christ are not citizens of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven, we see from Philippians 3. And yet, the consummation now is that there will be a day when all of that shifts. That we're we're not even here on earth anymore. But our citizenship, and we're taken home to heaven as the consummation, the return of Christ in glory. The consummation of the kingdom will be complete. And where heaven and earth, as Jesus prayed and taught his disciples to pray, heaven and earth will become new and unified. Revelation chapter 22 and 23, you see the new heaven and the new earth basically consume the old heaven and the, and the old earth so that the kingdom reign is complete. The consummation has happened. God's people will possess the earth as Christ reigns over every inch of it. As a prophet... He'll reveal God to us. We'll see the Lord. We'll see the Father in heaven. As a priest, He'll welcome us into the glorious presence of God. As a king, He will defeat our enemies and grant us a new heaven and a new earth. And so all those things will take place. And this practical implication of the kingdom mindset is that we hold the Old Testament covenant mandates and the kingdom mentality to be fruitful and multiply, to rule over the earth and subdue it. And then we merge those things with the kingdom mindset that, again, is the thread that runs through all of Scripture, I believe, to go and make disciples, to go to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. How is that practically lived out in our life? Multiplication. That we would be equipped with the, with the power of the Holy Spirit to go in and invest in someone in such a way that we teach them how to invest in someone else spiritually and scripturally. 
I can teach Michael how to open Scripture and read the Bible with other people in hopes that Michael will then go and do that with somebody else. And then the person that he talks about or does that with will do that with someone else. And so we're then leading and drawing others into the kingdom of God to proclaim that Jesus is Lord, that His Word is practical, and that the vision is doable. Have you ever seen the illustration of multiplication uh, when it comes to making disciples? It's a fascinating... If I had a board, I could draw it for you. But it's fascinating that if you take one person and they decide in their lifetime to invest in three people and, and teach them just three... Three people to teach them what it looks like to pray, to follow Jesus, to read Scripture, uh, to be faithful, to be obedient to God's Word. And then those three people go and invest in three more. And then those nine go and invest in three more each. And by the time you get to around the tenth generation, you've hit almost a million people because of the beauty of multiplication. Because you chose to take seriously, we chose, I'll put, I'll put me in it too, we chose to take seriously the call to invest and to bring the kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. That's a fascinating number to me. I have a, a, a guy that, that is, um, I'm going to tell you these numbers and, and you're going to go, these sound astronomical, but it's really phenomenal. Um, he, he lives just down the road in Dadeville, Alabama. Nobody knows him. Nobody's heard. I mean, you might have heard his name, but he has a little, um, uh, basically a, about 10 acres of property where he's uh, built this little ranch where he invites people onto his property for a week at a time or two weeks at a time to equip and to train them and to send them out. And so he'll invite you to come, come spend some time with me. Uh, I want to invest in you. I want to pour into you. And then I'm going to, I'm going to send you out to do the same thing. And so he's done that with, Hundreds of thousands of people at this point. He started back in 2014. Uh, came from South Asia as a missionary back to Alabama, um, and he's a quirky guy, uh, and but loves Jesus. And uh, tried to pin him down. There was some friends that tried to pin him down the other day and say, "How many people have you seen come to faith in Jesus? In in just being faithful and investing in people and sending them out." And he said, since 2020, COVID hit up until now, we have a recorded number of over 7 million people have come to faith in Jesus through investing in one and two and three and sending them out and investing in one and two and three and sending them out and investing in one and two or three. The principle of multiplication. And he said... If you're talking about from when we first came back to the States after South Asia, he said, I stopped counting at 23 million. I told you that would be an astronomical number, right? You're going, how in the world? It's through the power of multiplication that we understand that that was what Jesus was trying to get across. Hey, you 11 disciples that I've poured my life into for three years, now you're going to go do the same thing with other people. And you see it in Scripture, right? Where... They t- took on one or two and they taught them how to do it. And then they said, you go do that. And you go meet over here in your home and gather some folks and do this. And you go over here and you do this. And you go into Judea and Samaria. And Paul's going to go over here. And Peter's going to go over here. And Barnabas over here. And so on and so forth. And then you see the church just exploding through multiplication. So Jesus' mentality of kingdom ministry was a mentality of multiplication. All the way from the beginning, when he said, be fruitful and multiply, it wasn't about addition. It was, 
The hope is that you're going to have children who are image bearers of God and they're going to have children who are image bearers of God and they're going to have children. You know how this works, right? I mean, look at a look at a family tree. Before long, you're all over the place. And they live wherever and they do whatever if we're carrying out the image of God in our families. I'll stop there for a minute. Thoughts, comments, questions. Ethiopian eunuch, yeah. 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 How will they know? No one teaches. And I think that's Jesus' ministry too, that he got across to the disciples. Hey, I know this is different. I know this is not the kingdom that you thought was coming, but the only way they're going to know is if you go and do what I'm calling you to do. Is if you are trusting in the Holy Spirit enough to move in you and to do miraculous things. God will do it. Well, we're about out of time. I think I was just, the word response popped into my head. You know, being a, being willing to respond. Yeah. This is would be a big challenge as we talked about with, with me. Mm-hmm. You know, having a willingness to yeah. respond to. It responds out of you feel the Holy Spirit moving, but you yeah. don't respond. Yeah. Then, Otherwise, we we call that obedience, right? right. I mean, that's well, that's the obedience of the Lord when. That was a key passage. We love to quote, I know a lot of people who love to quote the Great Commission. Go therefore, make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a great section, but you can't leave off the second part. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Um, that's what makes disciples. That's what. We baptize and we teach them to obey. And then they go and teach somebody else. And they go and teach somebody else. And they go and teach somebody else. And before long, we see this small little grain of mustard move into a giant mustard tree and literally subduing the earth with the kingdom of God we see no stone unturned where everyone has heard who Jesus is and the word goes forth all right let me pray for us I'll stick around if you want to talk or have a question but for those who need to get to the 11 o'clock service we want to give you time Jesus thankful for this time thankful for this uh, just your word. I'm thankful for scripture and how it ties all together and how this thread of the DNA of scripture is the kingdom of God running throughout. Lord, I pray that you uh, would use us in this room. There's only six or seven, eight of us in here. God, we know that through the power of multiplication, though, if we invest in one or two and those invest in one or two, that we can truly see the kingdom of God multiplied in ways we never thought possible. And so, Lord, would you use us in great power for your glory today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.